Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our guest today is Dr. Kenneth Doka, and our topic is dealing with grief and loss. Dr. Kenneth J. Doka is a professor of gerontology at the Graduate School of the College of New Rochelle and senior consultant to the Hospice Foundation of America. Dr. Doka is a prolific author whose books include Men Don't Cry, Women Do, Transcending Gender Stereotypes of Grief, Children Mourning, Mourning Children, Death and Spirituality, Living with Grief, Who We Are, How We Grieve, Living with Grief, Children, Adolescents, and Loss. Dr. Doka has also published over 60 articles and book chapters. He is editor of both Omega and Journeys, a newsletter for the bereaved. Welcome to the show, Ken. It's good to be here, Gloria. And Heidi, that was And Heidi. (laughs) (laughs) It's great to have you on the show, Ken. And um, I wanted to ask you, I noticed uh, from your, you've got a great website. They can go to your name, um, Google your name, Dr. Kenneth Doka, D-O-K-A, and uh, find out a lot of things about you and look at all these books. Wow, you spent a lot of time writing or editing. And I like, I, I'm very interested in the fact, Ken, that you have, you aren't just um, an expert in one area. I mean, you know about children's grief, adolescent grief, elderly grief, adult grief, which I find fascinating. Well, the Hospice Foundation has given me remarkable opportunities to uh, to learn a lot and to grow a lot. And as I've helped them um, produce teleconferences and uh, and the books that go along with those teleconferences, it, it has certainly broadened my knowledge. Um, give me an opportunity to talk to a lot of people who are grieving a lot of losses. Yeah, um, before we get to the, the nitty-gritty of grief and loss, tell us a little bit so we don't lose that about your teleconferences. They're pretty interesting. Every year, groups of people get together. and Every year, um, in, in over 2,000 sites throughout the country, the Hospice Foundation of America has an annual teleconference. Compassionate Friends is, is usually one of our sponsors or co-sponsors, and um, the teleconference gives us an opportunity to offer training and to offer... Um, uh, insights uh, to professionals, but many times people in the audience come from a wide range of varieties and uh, a variety of, of situations, including, of course, many of the people who are involved in compassionate uh, friends. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the, your topic this year is certainly a hit for us because Heidi and I just uh, have finished a book that will be out um, at the end of the month on, uh, teen, on grief relief for mm-hmm. parents parenting teens who have had a loss. So. That's going to be a, an, an interesting teleconference you'll have. Well, I wanted to ask you, um, I noticed from your resume that you uh, have in your past been a minister. I'm still an ordained Lutheran minister. Um, I'm you know, basically retired from that now, but I still occasionally preach and, and, um, and I'm involved in the church, of course. Yeah, is that how you got in the field of grief and loss? Was it was a combination, it? really. Um, that was certainly, at the same time I was going for my ministry degree, I was going for a degree in sociology, and as part of my ministerial training, I had to work in um, well, it's called a CPE, clinical pastoral education, and um, I ended up um, really by a series of almost accidents, ending up working in Sloan Kettering with dying uh, children and adolescents, and mm-hmm. um, and then for my sociology degree, I, I decided to do a thesis on, you know, the, the organization of terminal care in two pediatric hospitals. And it sort of set me in the field. That was some 36 years ago, actually. So I've been in the field for a long time. Yeah. Did you work with Grace Chris then? 
Excuse me? Grace Christ. Wasn't that where she is hiding? She was, uh, remember, that was 36 years ago. Okay. Right. Yeah. I think she, I think she came after you. She's, she's my supervisor now. Yeah. 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 Heidi works within 9-11 families in, in New York. So, so really, you came to it from a more um, academic healthcare point of view, minister. Well, it was always a combination because remember, my 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 original work was with with dying children and their family, mm-hmm. and I think the first thing I learned was that I spent about a third of my time with children, about a third of my time with with staff, and about a third of my time with parents, mm-hmm. all of whom were struggling with that that loss. Well, maybe that's a, a good thing to start with now with, for our listeners out there who are newly bereaved. What is, quote, normal grief? Well, you know, I, I think sometimes it, it's important to recognize that probably in the first couple of months, with the exception of a couple of things I'm going to mention, self-destructive behaviors, um, real impairment in one roles, it's, it's very hard to, to, you know, to typify what is normal grief. This is a horrendous loss. It's a terrible loss, and it affects us in lots of different ways. I think some things we can say about us it, it is, it, is it affects us on all kinds of levels. It affects us physically. It affects us emotionally. It affects the ways we think, the ways we behave. Um, it affects us spiritually. And, and I think for a lot of people, it's um, as, as, you know, as I've experienced grief in my life and, as, and I've talked with many of the people who've experienced their own losses, um, they often use a metaphor like a roller coaster to describe it. Mm-hmm. Ups and downs and highs and lows and times that you think you're doing better and times that you really feel feel much worse. You know, yeah, we, it is, it's uh, very discouraging. I know for a lot of our listeners, they'll let us know that they've had a setback, right, Heidi? Yeah, and, and I don't think you, I, I, I wouldn't look at it as a setback. I look mm-hmm. at it as part of, you know, if you, if you take a metaphor like a roller coaster, in many ways it's, it's a very healing metaphor because it reminds you that ups and downs are going to be part of the process. If you think of grief as sort of this straight line where you're going to go from feeling, uh, feeling bad to feeling better, um, that's not going to happen. You're, you're going to have the, this kind of uneven journey. Just a just a low point, really, not a setback. Well, that's a good point, Ken. And like you said, not to look at it as a setback. It's part of your healing process. Yeah, it's part of your grieving process. Absolutely. Because the other point I'd want to stress, too, for people, because um, sometimes people say to me, well, I'm, j- I'm just not feeling, and then they'll talk about just thinking about their child. We experience grief in all kinds of ways, and all of us do that very differently. Mm-hmm. What about the idea of going through stages of grief and people feeling like, okay, I'm in this stage, and then I, and now I'm in another stage, which is a previous stage. Maybe I'm going backwards. Well, I, I see that's that's the problem with stage stage theory. Most mm-hmm. people today um, choose not to typify the process of grief in stages. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's just for most people not a kind of helpful way of looking at the grieving process. You know, if you think about it, here we are. We're very individual people. Even the three of us, we have different spiritualities. We come from different generations. To think we're going to experience a loss and react to it in the same predictable set of ways is, is probably, when you think about it, not particularly likely. Mm-hmm. And we have so, different genders, which I know you've talked about. Yeah, different genders, Will different ways Will you mention that a little coping. bit? Because I know that's been something for folks out there. Yeah. So, so I think it's important to, to really kind of realize that there, you know, there is not going to be this, um, this set series of predictable stages. You know, we, mm-hmm. we moved away from this notion of universal stages to really individual pathways of grief. Oh, I like that. 
Yeah, I like that. And and the end one with the Kubler Ross model was uh, acceptance, and we've gone on to do think about different ways. Yeah, I, I like to use the term amelioration, and what I mean by that is that for most people who are grieving, over time they say it's less painful now than it was. Um, over time, um, they usually are able to function um, as well as they functioned before the loss. But there's still moments and there's still periods in which um, one still um, one still experiences uh, even years later these these sort of surges of grief. You know, um, you know it may be that you know that your child dies at four years old, and then this June you realize that some of his classmates or some of her classmates are graduating from high school, mm-hmm. and that was 13 years ago. Right. I was going to say different different anniversary dates often will will bring us into another place. Yeah, or events, or you know, or, mm-hmm. or just all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like what you're saying that one of the ways that grief has changed over time in the field is that we've gone from universal stages to individual pathways. Yeah, very much so. Okay, I like that. Now, what about gender differences? Well, I, I you know, um, in, in a sense, I've, we've done some work, Terry Martin and I, on gender differences. But what we really like to emphasize are, are grieving styles that are influenced mm-hmm. by gender but not determined by it. So, you know, we talk about um, and, and, and really look at them as a continuum. And so we say some people who grieve um, really experience grief on a very, very feeling level. Um, um, they really experience grief on a very, very feeling level. And, um, and then other people who experience grief uh, experience it at a much more cognitive level. And they find um, doing things, uh, building a memorial, running a scholarship for their child is very, very helpful. Um, and again, all of these are normal and natural ways of handling grief. The problem becomes when, when people, particularly couples, start saying, well, he's not reacting like I'm reacting. What's wrong with him or what's wrong with me? Well, I think it's important to recognize that, that, um, again, each of us um, deal with grief in our own very, very individual way, and certainly that helps with couples, and certainly that's true for couples. And sometimes what happens is... um, is couples impose their way of grieving on the other person. And, and I always like what Jane Nichols used to say. She was a bereaved parent as well. And one of the things that she used to say is the differences, she used to talk about all the factors that affect how we grieve differently and say they have little to do with love. You know, it's mm. different attachment styles, different relationships, different expectations. And, and the point she was making by that was saying just because somebody grieves differently, doesn't mean they had less love for the person who died or, or anything of that nature. It just means that they grieve differently. Sometimes when I'm working with couples, I, uh, I talk about what attracted them to the other person. And very often, the very thing that attracted them is what's causing them problems now. Mm-hmm. So they'll say, you know, well, when uh, a, a woman might say, for instance, you know, when... Um, I liked him because he was so strong, and whenever I got upset, he could be the very calming influence on me, and whenever I was dealing with a crisis, he was the steady hand, and and then you'll say, well, what's wrong now? Well, he's the steady hand. He's not emotional. Right. right. You know, and it brings them back to the fact, well, you know, this is nothing new. This is the way that this person reacts. This is, you know, part of the, the way we, we couple together. Right. And, um, and so I think it's important to just recognize that and understand 
right. It reminds me a little bit of um, Hal Loader, who was um, on one of our very first shows in '05. This archived on our website. Um, she had been talking about how her husband Wayne had always been the, the quiet, steady hand, and she was after her two children were killed. She was very angry with him because he wasn't there for her, and she kept saying, "You know, Wayne, you're supposed to be there for me and supporting me." And Wayne finally looked at her and he said, "How can I send you a life raft when I'm drowning myself?" Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing we we recognize, and we recognize sometimes that even what's helpful to one person is not helpful to the other. Yeah. And I think groups are, are kind of in there because some people think everyone should go to groups or some people yeah. think that nobody should go to groups. Yeah, you know, and, and, it, and it's just recognizing and supporting each other and, and recognizing that in this period of time, um, um, it's important to keep the lines of communication between people open and to keep the lines of respect open. Mm-hmm. So, so, Ken, you talked about how people grieve differently and how some people are feeling versus some people grieve in a cognitive way, and they're more active in their grief. They build memorials, et cetera, and that's how they work through their grief process. I wonder, for the feeling people, how are they working through their grief process? I always thought everybody was moving towards active grieving, but it sounds like that's not Moving toward what? Active grieving, like building memorials, being more active with their grief. Well, no, I, I think sometimes people, uh, you know, again, I, I think the important question is is always the question, you know, how have you coped with these kinds of losses in the past? Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think very, very often what happens for people is that um, that as they've dealt with these losses in the past, um, um, you know, they can they can see patterns. But I, I guess the, the answer would be that often people who are very feeling will talk about expressing their feelings in, you know, in, in maybe shouting and crying. And often they'll find that ways to help them explore and develop their feelings, like a support group in some cases, or maybe, you know, like um, uh, something else, can be very, very useful and very important. How about men getting together? Yeah, you know. talking to a confidant, talking to a counselor, writing in a journal. But again, the important point to remember is, you know, that it helps. If I were a counselor, I'd help people be cognizant of and and recognizing how it is they work through their grief and and what helps them, and and, re- and recognizing and respecting the differences in their different approaches. How about also that? counts for siblings in the yeah, family. Yeah, how about as well. that first year of shock? What's that? Well, how about the very beginning when you're around someone who has just lost a child? We've got some folks that maybe only are two weeks out there. Then I, think- I actually just ran into a woman that just lost her child two weeks ago, and it was a small child from cancer, and she said, I don't know how I'm going to survive. I'm at that point. I'm not sure how I'm going to survive this. Yeah, I, I think at that point in time you're doing first aid. You're just you're just recognizing this is a shocking period. You're, you're just trying to give support. Um, you're recognizing this is, a, and, and you know, we live in a society in which the loss of children is totally unexpected, and uh, we you know we expect to, our children to outlive us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were saying something about siblings. What about the siblings of this kid who? Died well, I'm just to, saying what, that, that you know, again, si- the, the, we also have to understand that siblings are going to grieve differently. Um, they're going to grieve differently because of their own grieving styles, where they are in development, too. And so sometimes, you know, we can do the same thing to, to siblings that we do to couples. Mm-hmm. You know, we expect everyone to grieve in the same way. Right. And sometimes siblings don't get much attention, do they, Heidi? No. Right. Siblings can feel very unacknowledged and like their grief is overlooked oftentimes. And also, I'm always telling parents, you know, when kids are not grieving in front of you, sometimes they're trying to be good kids. Sometimes they don't want to cause you any more pain. 
so they're ha- they might not be grieving in front of their parents because they feel like their parents have been through so much already. Yeah. Especially with teenagers. So what? Tell me, you know, you're involved in the hospice work, and I knew California has been doing some initiatives. Uh, what's going on in hospice if a child is sick in hospice, uh, and then they want to go back to the hospital and that kind of thing? What's happening in that area? You know what I'm talking about? Are Not they, exactly. No. Yeah. Are we are we able to carry continuity of care for these children who have, are dying? I, I think in most cases, very definitely, yes. That's working out. Yeah. What about a child who dies? Um, are these families being taken care of after, or is there aftercare now? Well, I think one of the valuable things about hospice is that hospice has always had as part of its philosophy that the unit of care was always the family, and therefore um, the death of the patient doesn't uh, doesn't uh, uh, doesn't end the need for care. Mm-hmm. So I think um, hospice has been, a, has been a pioneer in providing services for the family, whether the patient is a child or an adult, that extend way beyond the patient's death. Mm-hmm. So, so they be they are providing follow up for the family. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's wonderful. part of their mandate. That's part of their responsibility. That's, that's it's part of their wonderful. mission. Ken, you know what the biggest question I get when working with bereaved parents is, my teenagers are not communicating about the death of their sibling. How do I get them to communicate more? What kind of what information would you have for those parents? Well, I, I think you know recognize that often uh, for lots of reasons, you know, um, it's probably a complaint that many parents make about their teenagers generally. I think the thing I would try to say is, do you see any um, any indication of problems? Is there acting out behavior? Is there substance abuse? Is there difficulty beyond the kind of normal teenage trauma? And then I think to help teenagers identify um, sources that they can go to, uh, both within and without of the fa- outside of the family. Um, you know, but as I said, uh, adolescence is a is a tough area, and um, and adolescents don't want to appear different than their peers. Uh, they don't want to be identified very often as the, you know, the kid who's lost his brother. They, they want to be accepted on their own. So I, th- I think it's important to, again, keep lines of communication open, um, to respect where they are at development, and just you know, look for danger signs and help them find. find what kind uh, of signs would they be, Ken? What? What kind of signs would danger signs? Well, be I, I think, for instance, if there's radical changes in grades or behavior. Um, I think if there's um, certainly delinquent uh, behavior, if there's acting out behavior, including maybe sexual acting out, if there's substance abuse, um, all of these would be signs that I would, suicidal self-destructive behavior, behavior destructive of others, all of those would be, um, you know, uh, would be important, you know, just not functioning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, someone sent us an email uh, when they heard that you were going to be on the show, and it's uh from John in Wisconsin, and he said, my wife doesn't want to be intimate with me. Um, my child died three months ago. Do you have any suggestions? Well, uh, again, I think the, the probably the best suggestion I would make, I mean, first of all, I would say, yeah, these things happen. And, and again, part of the ways that we grieve is that men often look at, um, at sexual acts as, as, a, as a way of intimacy uh, and support, and, and, you know, and, and people vary on how they look at that. Um, for many, many women, that may be associated with, with, with child raising and their child or their own grieving style may, may um, 
that may not be appropriate to them. So I, th- I think the question is just to bring lines of lobe and lines open and really talk about it. Yeah, that's a, that's um, a know, good for point. For John, I would yeah. say be very attentive too. You know, there's other ways to establish right. intimacy. You might just go to dinner and uh, yeah, yeah, movie. just have a quiet dinner together. And uh, but but I think it's important to talk these things through. Right. Because sometimes it's pretty difficult to talk right after. Um, I remember when our son was killed, sometimes I'd be, um, you know, wanting to have a great day, and my husband would be in a bad mood, and that would annoy me, or he would be... Um, feeling up that day, you know. Sure, you know, you have you're, you're at different points in the roller coaster, and that's also yeah. a complicating factor. Yeah. Journeys they probably would be very interested in. Journeys is um, written for bereaved um, uh, people. Um, it's written through the Hospice Foundation. It, it's published through the Hospice Foundation of America. It comes out monthly, um, and it often has articles that I think will both validate and provide um, good coping advice. It's, it's written by experts in the field. Most of the articles are. Um, about you know a couple of pages. They're not particularly long, and they're really just good, solid information for people in the midst of grief. Now, how would our folks get a hold of that? Um, I think if they if they call Hospice Foundation of America at two zero two six three eight five four one nine. That's two zero two six three eight five four one nine. Um, or just go on the web page uh, www.hospicefoundation.org. Um, they can find information about journeys. That's great, and uh, you've done so many books. Uh, do you have any special out of your books that you feel are more for the public in general or all of them for the, the public in general? Well, I, I think probably um, any of the books that the Hospice Foundation um, has, has done are, are aimed for a wide audience and, and therefore I think can be um, helpful, but none of them are truly aimed for people who are right in the midst of grief um, um, I think there you might want to look at uh, at Terry Rando's book, um, uh, How to Go on Living When Someone You Love Dies. Mm-hmm. That's uh, great. Now, um, I wanted to ask you also, how, how does a family qualify for hospice in the United States now if they do have a child who's dying or a sick child? Well, I, I think what they should do is they should call the local hospice and and have an assessment made. You know, there's there's all different kinds of uh, and I'm I, again my work with Hospice Foundation of America is not so much on policy but on providing support for grieving families. So I I wouldn't consider myself an expert on that. But what I would consider and what I would strongly suggest to people is that. Um, that they recognize that hospice provides exceptional palliative care, and um, and and I think when they reach that point where they realize the goal um, is um, is to keep their child as comfortable as possible, um, to contact hospice and and talk with them about what that may involve. Now we have some folks listening to the show that are down the road a ways, and what if they wanted to volunteer? Are there opportunities there? Yeah, again, I would contact the local hospice. They're they're always looking for good volunteers, and um, and many of the volunteers in hospice are often people who have come to hospice through the death of a family member. And you know that's great to know because in the kind of in the old days back there when I started out in the therapy business, uh, they were saying, well, you shouldn't work in an area where you've had a loss or whatever. And now we're now we're really open to having people help out, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. And and I think if we said to everybody, you shouldn't work in an area in which you've had a loss, then just about everyone's not going to work anywhere. Absolutely. <laughs> Good point. So, Ken, in your work with grieving families, what have you felt that they've needed the most? What's that? In your work with grieving families, you said that you offer support. What do you feel that they need the most? 
I, I think sometimes they need a couple of things. I think they need um, a, a good sense of understanding how to use the resources around them, a good sense of what resources are available, including their own personal resources. Um, mm-hmm. When I work with families, I often have them make a list of their friends and support network, and then I have them label who's, who's good for doing things and who's good for listening and who's good just to have a good time with. And that's important, too, mm-hmm. you know, just to have time off from your grief because it is such hard work. Um, yeah, you, you should remember that there are people that will help you, and they are out. They just don't know what to do. They don't know what to do, and sometimes you, we don't always ask them to do what they're good at doing. Mm-hmm. Good point. And and then I think the other thing that they need is just you know information that comes out of programs like yours that just says, hey, you know, if it's six months and everyone's telling you to get over it and you're still feeling bad, hey, you're the one who's doing who's 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 understanding what grief is about. Mm-hmm. And it's your experience. How about grief in the workplace? With these, you know, people getting back to work. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, again, I would think. Um, again, I think whenever you're dealing with grief and other people, the key always is to get to, to establish open communication and to um, uh, to keep connections. You know, uh, you have to realize when you go back to work, if you've had a horrendous and major loss, um, you're not going to be as as effective as as you might have been before then. Um, and sometimes it's good to really talk about what you're experiencing and how work has been with hopefully hopefully supervisors who can understand. Mm-hmm. So be proactive. I, we do sometimes have to educate people a bit. Yeah, and, and unfortunately that's an additional burden, but it, it is a burden we we have to do. Yeah, and one of the things people also tell us is that some of the friends or, or coworkers that were that they were friends with before can't handle it. They're not there for them, but new people appear. Yeah, I always talk when I talk with grieving families. I always ask them about the surprises, mm-hmm. and and what I mean by the surprises is the people you really thought not just at work but all over, who who you could count on and you found out you couldn't. But then the, there are other surprises too, people who you never really knew well or thought you could count on who are really there for you in ways that you never expected. Yeah, and we find that with teenagers, right, Heidi? They they sure. really are disappointed in some of their friends. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I think we also need to educate people about time frames because I feel that a lot of people I work with, and myself included, we feel that people feel like we should get over it and move on quicker than we're, than we're ready to. Yeah. Grieving takes a lot of time. And when you think that your brother, like when I thought that my brother was going to be with me a lifetime, it takes a long time to work through your, my grief. Yeah, and, and chances are you're still going to have moments where you still struggle with that. Yeah, as you said, some things are only once in a lifetime, like a marriage or a wedding or, yeah, you know, yeah. where you'd like uh, your loved one to be there with you. Well, Ken, I want to thank you so much for being on the show and just all the work that you do in this field. It's absolutely amazing. Well, thank you, Gloria. It is, it's Ken. been a real thank pleasure, and I'd love much. to do this again. And all these books that you've written, I hope uh, people will um, will put some on our website, and we hope people will, you know, look through those. And, you know, even the titles, uh, I must say, um, Peak some interest, okay. You know, uh, so they're they're very interesting, and uh, all the work and teaching that you're doing, and uh, you're teaching how many classes? Um, during the normal year, I teach uh, about uh, three different classes dealing with different elements of loss and grief. Now, do you uh, you do presentations? Do you do anything for the public? Um, occasionally, when an organization to? brings me, um, they'll have me do a, a public lecture, and I always enjoy those opportunities to um, you know to really be with people and to dialogue with people. I learn so much from people. Now, um, 
if people wanted to see where you'd be presenting, they can go to your website and see if you're going to be doing uh, yeah, something. Yeah, uh, I, I hope so. <laughs> I'm not always that current on updating it, but, um, but sure. Well, it, uh, I hope that Heidi and I get to meet you sometime. I wanted to ask you, can you advertise in Omega? Uh, yes, you can. Oh, maybe yeah. Heidi and I will put a, an ad for the radio show. And okay. Our new book in there would be great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. And we appreciate it. Have a great day, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.